Hello. 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 The Classic Guitar Rock Podcast starts right now. to coast, from border to border, from one end to the other, and all points in between. The Classic Guitar Rock Podcast is on. Yes! That's awesome! We crank up and break down the great guitar-driven rock of the 70s and 80s, and you are invited to come along. We got a full tank of gas, half a pack of cigarettes, it's dark, and we're wearing sunglasses. Hit it! And now your hosts, Jeremy and Jeff. One half teaspoon for fast, effective relief. It's time for the Classic Guitar Rock Podcast. So welcome back to the Classic Guitar Rock Podcast. Uh, you're here with Jeremy and Jeff. Jeff, how are you doing? I'm I'm here. I'm here and I'm excited to be here. Ready for action. Hey. Yes, Great. thank you. Good. How are this you? Is, I'm good. I'm good. This is uh, episode 10. I was just mentioning this is a little behind the scenes, but I'll share it with you all. Is We are, we are approaching 5,000 listens on the podcast so i'm hey. i'm pretty excited about that this is our 10th episode and and uh we've only been doing it for what about two months now two months two and a half months not for long if that and so yeah i mean i i think that's great so thank you those of you that that are listening and we appreciate that uh, remember to to follow us so you get updates on all the the new ones we're available on all the major platforms and as we've mentioned, we do have an email address. It's classicguitarrock at mail.com. And of course, we have our Patreon site. You can be a patron. And our goal is to make $9 a month. So you can, you can be a patron at $3 a month or $6 a month. The exciting thing about it, Jeff, is if they come in early, if they're one of our first patrons, we'll totally just let them come on the podcast. I mean... Why not? Better. Yeah. So, Why not? so let's just throw that out there. Our first patron, you get to be a guest on the podcast. So we can talk about whatever you want on the podcast. I think that'd be, I mean, who wouldn't want to come on with us? Right. I don't, I don't know who wouldn't. <laughs> yeah. I don't know. So anything, right. anything classic Brock, perhaps, yeah, or, you know, exactly. music related, not anything. So let me talk let about me, your dog. I do want to, I do want to share this, this comment I had from a, a friend of mine that was listening who took issue. And I think Jeff maybe takes issue, but he has never said it, said it like my friend did. (laughs) He says, he says, man, some of that stuff you guys, you talk about, I don't think is classic rock. So I just want to throw this out there. I've kind of made this name up myself. That's why I call it the classic guitar rock podcast. And I refer to it as classic guitar rock. So yeah, there's stuff I talk about, you know, damn Yankees or something from the late eighties that a lot of classic rock purists would not consider classic rock. That's why I add that classic guitar rock to kind of differentiate it from. So it's a little broader approach than just classic rock. So I just want to throw that out there. And, and, and my friend was fine with it. He was just like, well, man, I, I don't, I can't even remember the band we were talking about. 
Oh, it was the episode last week when we had Greg Feller, who was a recording engineer from LA on, and we were talking about uh, Paul Gilbert and the guys in Sons of Apollo, and they did their, obviously it's a new album, and he was mm-hmm. making the point that, well, that's not really classic rock, and I'm like, well, yeah, but it's kind of in that vein, it's guitar driven, so, so yes, we have a little broader definition than just purely classic rock, so I just wanted to. Yeah, you know, I it's 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 okay to mix it up a little bit right sure. add a little spice totally you know why not absolutely so i think jeff has some news items for us to kick things off you know this is kind of interesting uh in the world of online streaming and uh and and uh smart tvs everybody's streaming videos and documentaries mm-hmm. something's coming on amazon prime from yoko ono and this oh. other person jamie hendrix Okay. Called the Coda Collection, and it's a music channel, and they're, they're going to have concerts, documentaries, rare concerts and documentaries, some editorial content, 150 titles to start, five bucks a month for Amazon Prime members. Interesting. And that's coming uh, February 18th. February 18th. And what's it called? Coda. It's called the Coda Collection. Interesting. Well, I'll check that out. This this may be the first thing that people are excited about that Yoko Ono did. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I was almost afraid to mention. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> no, just for her. That's great. Well, yeah, isn't that cool? Because I'm into the. I'm, I love that. I, when I go on Netflix or Amazon Prime, if I don't find a documentary that's oh, interesting, I'm always like, oh man. That's exactly what I do. I I go for the uh, the music documentaries, and actually Prime has quite a few. I've watched a few good ones on there. And even on YouTube, the problem with YouTube is sometimes the quality is not that great, right? But occasionally you'll stumble on something that's a pretty high quality uh, yeah. for YouTube anyway. So that's great. Awesome. Yeah. Number two, you would like this because this is one of your favorite bands. Ooh. You might know this. Cheap Trick. Oh, yes. Announces uh, the new album, the 20th studio album, In Another World. I heard the single that dropped probably four days ago, five days ago. And, light, uh, light up the fire. Light up the fire, and it's it's pretty rocking. You know, it's, yeah, what would you think of it? I kind of got to let it grow. I mean, I won't say that I love it yet, but it's a solid. It's solid. I mean, there's other stuff that that I've heard over the last decade or so that I liked a little more. But I'm definitely going to check out the uh, album. And let me just say this about Cheap Trick, by the way. Classic rock. It's well, I can't really. do the whole. Uh, I think they are right, but. They had an album that came out, gosh, probably, I'm, I can't, it's the Rockford album. It's called Rockford. Mm-hmm. And it is one of my favorite Cheap Trick albums. It's been like in my top four Cheap Trick albums. And, and this is an album that got zero recognition, zero airplay. You know, hardly anyone knows about it except diehard Cheap Trick fans. But it's one of those albums that you listen to it and it's like every single song sounds like a hit. And again, we've lamented about this. It's just kind of the nature of music now is there is tons of good music that gets released that no one ever hears. And so, so I just decided right now, Jeff, part of our mission on this show will be to turn people on to that stuff. So yes, we'll call it the, the B-sides or the deep mission. cuts. Totally. Deep tracks, deep There's tracks. There's a lot of good stuff that's still coming out that you wouldn't know about. One more album. Peter Frampton is releasing an all instrumental album. Wow. I had cover covers, covers of cover songs. Cover songs like uh Sly and the Family Stone, If You Want Me to Stay, 
a David Bowie tune, George Harrison, Lenny Kravitz. Are you going to go my way? Wow. So really wide reaching. Did you ever hear his cover of Black Hole Sun? No, but a lot of people have covered that. Phenomenal. It's it's oh. instrumental. It's an instrumental. Okay. And uh, it's really good. Uh, it's something people don't know about Frampton. Frampton and David Bowie were good friends. They grew up together. They're only a couple years apart. And Frampton's dad was David Bowie's teacher hmm. in art school. And uh, so from the time Frampton was just a little 10 years old, he knew David Bowie. And uh, so they, they were good friends a lot. That's, that's cool. I, Frampton's one of those guys. It's just, I, I won't say I'm a huge Frampton fan. Like I own all of his, I, I have Frampton comes alive. I mean, who doesn't, but mm -hmm. I really like him. He's one of those guys. Anytime I see an interview with Peter Frampton, I, I stop and read it or watch it. Cause he's just one of those solid guys that I, I just like, you know, Rick Beato. Yes. On YouTube. Really awesome. Awesome channel. He had a, a Frampton on, or he, oh. I think he went to Frampton actually, Uh huh. wherever he was and did an interview. I saw him interview Eric Johnson here. Uh -huh. And, yes. you know, when you have 3 million YouTube subscribers, you have the uh, clout too. <laughs> he does now. People like that. So, so at some point, maybe Jeff, we'll be able to have people like that on our podcast. Wow. Yeah. That could be then it's just you and me. <laughs> maybe we'll create a poll in YouTube. Who would the listeners would like to have on first? That's a great idea. <laughs> Which great idea? Musician, producer. I love engineer. that idea. Let's do that. Okay. And then we'll start great. working on that. <laughs> All right. So, guys, we're gonna we're going to uh, begin a a I don't know if I want to call it a series, and I'm not going to commit to doing it every week, but I want to start drilling in to some classic albums. And I, I asked Jeff last week, I said, hey, what classic album would you like to dig into? And he recommended this album that we're going to do today. And I think it's timely because Leslie West passed away on the 23rd of December. So just over a month ago, we lost Leslie West at the age of 75. And Leslie West is, you know, one of these names that we always hear. You know, when you read the guitar magazines, when you read interviews, you always hear about him. And yet I find as I talk to people, not a lot of people really have listened to him all that much other than Mississippi Queen. Right. We've all heard that. Mm -hmm. And so I thought this is a great this is a great choice because I had not listened to this whole album that we're going to talk about today. We're, we're going to talk about the first mountain album which is called Climbing. It came out in 1970. Mm -hmm. um, so we're, go we're going to listen to that. When we come back, we're going to dig in deep. We're going to talk a little bit about the history of Leslie West and a mountain, and then we're going to break it down kind of track by track for this album, Mountain Climbing from 1970. That's all when we get back here on the Classic Guitar Rock Podcast. Welcome back to the Classic Guitar Rock Podcast. This is episode 10, and today we are focusing on a classic album from 1970 uh, by the band Mountain, and it's called Climbing. So, Jeff, clear up some confusion for us uh, right here at the beginning. <laughs> yes. 
I also had not really listened to uh, the, the whole album of climbing. So this was a great exercise and a fun little thing to, to get into. Mm-hmm. But yes, Leslie West uh, released a solo album in 1969 called Mountain. Yes. <laughs> so but that's, I, that's must... not the album we're talking about. No. And obviously, you know, he liked the name enough to, uh, when they formed the band, to name the band Mountain in 1970. What a debut album. Yes. So I think to talk, if you're going to talk about Mountain, you first have to talk about Cream, yes. I think. And, and Mountain has kind of been called the American cream or a heavy, heavier version of cream. So, so going back a ways, and Jeff, jump in because you might have to correct me here. But as Jeff mentioned, the first Leslie West album from 69 was called Mountain. It was Leslie West, Mountain, which is a good album. To be honest, of the two, I prefer this one, though. I don't know if you've had a chance to listen to all of both of them, but I prefer, I prefer climbing. But... On that album was bassist producer Felix Papillardi. And Felix also was a producer of Cream. So he had this relationship with Eric Clapton, Jack Bruce, Ginger Baker, very associated with with Cream. He played with Leslie West on Leslie West's album, and then they had a different drummer. I don't remember who the drummer was on the first Leslie West album. And he also produced... Jack Bruce's Jack Bruce's solo album. You're right. You're right. Now, here's what I'm not sure. When Mountain played at Woodstock. Mm -hmm. 1969. They were calling themselves Mountain, right? But they didn't have this album out yet. Right. But it was called Mountain, not just Leslie West. So, okay. So they performed at Woodstock. They don't appear in the Woodstock movie, but they're in the Woodstock 2 movie. But that's Felix Papillardi. I don't think Corky Lang was at Woodstock. I could be wrong. But anyway, right that one. they, they yep. played they played Woodstock. They went over really well. And then they decided, as uh, Jeff said, Felix came on board then, not just as a bass player and producer, but as a member of the band. They form a band now, Mountain, with Leslie West, Felix Papillardi. They brought in a drummer named Corky Lang. And recorded this album it's a great album what are your initial thoughts jeff you you just said you listened to it last night all the way through what did you think i wasn't surprised about the the heavy kind of riff based clapped in woman tone mm-hmm. you know heavy tones heavy tunes but i didn't realize that felix was singing right and his voice is totally different than Leslie West's mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and his writing, you know, is different his, the songs I, I think he was more involved with have that more psychedelic almost like spacey kind of thing going on back then. And, so and I, I, I found that it made a nice contrast to Leslie's style. So for an album, it was really up and down for me. I agree. And, and you definitely hear in the vocals and in yeah. the bass playing, you hear Jack Bruce. In in in, in uh, Felix, you know, he's got a very dramatic uh, delivery, like Jack Bruce did his bass playing. It, he's a really good bass player. I mean, there's some tasty bass stuff going on, and the singing is, and like you said, there are a couple songs where they both sing. I think Silver Paper, they both sing and they trade off and on, and that's a nice contrast. Yeah, I really like that. I think that was great. 
I'm going to start studying him and playing, you know. Yeah. I mean, obviously, he's pulling a lot from Clapton. You, you hear Clapton, but you also, you said, you mentioned Woman Tone. You, this is all over in this album. There's a mm-hmm. lot of stuff where you tell he's backed off on the volume. Les Paul Jr. has a tone control, right? Yes. Must have a tone just, control. Just one tone control, yeah, one, one, tone one volume. Because he's got, there's a lot of that quiet woman tone. And that's what Clapton would call it, the woman tone. And that refers to, it's not this heavily driven tone. It's it's pulled back a little bit, a little softer tone. It's all over in this album. Watching Leslie West play, and I've even heard him say in interviews, he only uses his index finger and his ring finger. Hmm. And uh, I don't know if he's exaggerating. I'm sure for chords and stuff, he's got to use his pinky. But when you watch him, sure enough, it's those two fingers. He yeah. moves all over the place. Yeah. But he is, and and now that I've I've dug into it, and I've for the last since you suggested this, like early in the week, I have this is all I've listened to. So I've listened to this a bunch, and I hear where other players have emulated this style. And there's, there's a couple in particular, Michael Shanker cites Leslie West as an influence. Randy Rhodes actually cited Leslie West as an influence, which might seem kind of strange, Hmm. but I totally hear Leslie West has this very wide vibrato, you know, where he's bending the note up and then still gets a lot of vibrato, a very strong vibrato. And I hear that in Shanker's playing. I think that's something that he's probably borrowed from, from Leslie West. And obviously Clapton's a master, but what I appreciate about Leslie West is even more so than Clapton is melodies, right? His leads are all very melodic and it's all basic minor and major pentatonic. That's yeah, that's what I was going to say. He blends the major and minor pentatonics yeah. really well. And in a way you don't quite know, really. You right. know, you're like, wait, wait a second. And then when you try to figure it out on the guitar, if you're a guitar player, oh, okay, that's that's a major pentatonic. Yeah, exactly. He's bending up to the major third and then all of a sudden he'll pull off on the minor third. Right, and you're like, oh, wow. Really tasty. And you're right, he's not blazing through runs. Clapton, I think, did that as well. Mm-hmm. But he also blazed through some things. But he's he's got a very, when I hear him, you can tell he, he's just a powerful, he's a riff master, right? He's just got some great riffs. When you hear these, you know, and we'll get to these in more detail. Obviously, you got Mississippi Queen, but never in my life. Uh, you know, awesome. all these tunes that are just these heavy riffs. And this is 1970. I mean, this is a long time ago. Really good stuff. Was I, was Felix from New York, New Jersey? Because I wonder, like, imagine you're you're growing up in New Jersey, which I think Leslie West was was born and grew up uh-huh. in New York a bit, somewhere in Long Island. And then, like, you know, maybe you get friends with somebody who happens to be a producer <laughs> with Jack Bruce and Cream. Exactly. And then you're just boop, you're in that world. He did originate, at least you know, musically in the eclectic music scene of Greenwich Village. So he's from at least from a from a music standpoint. He's also from from New York. He attended the University of Michigan. He was born in the Bronx, so he was born in New York City. So mm-hmm. Felix is a New York guy. Leslie played in a band called the Vagrants, and that's mm-hmm. where Felix met him. 
Uh, and so they kind of had this relationship early on. And Felix, I think, was kind of their producer, promoter, whatever, from an early time. I, and now this is funny. There's a video of the vagrants uh, that you can find of them playing at, it looks like they're playing at some teeny bopper birthday party from probably 1964, 65, something like this. And they're literally are dressed and look like the beach boys. You know, they've all got their nice shirts on and, and there's this kind of chubby kid in the back, you know, Oh, that must be Leslie West who looks, he looks like Chris Farley. I mean, that's who he looks like in this video. You know, he's just up there kind of, you know, be bopping along. And then he steps down, plays this, riffing little solo and then just steps right back up on his little platform there next to the drummer. It's kind of humorous to see because the Leslie West, we all know and love he's wearing the tassely clothes, hippie clothes. You know, he's got a scarf on his hair's crazy hair, crazy. He's got sideburns. I mean, but it's funny to see him in that context, looking like he's in the beach boys, but he could still play way back then. Uh, Yeah. It's like what I remember seeing Jimmy page, and some pictures or videos. Yeah. Way, way back, you know? That's funny. When they were doing, what do they call it? Skiffle. Skif- skiffle? skiffle? Yeah, he was yeah. skiffle. Then. Shorter hair, just yeah. like young. Yeah. And and uh, just in the case of uh, Jimmy Page, some of this probably with Leslie, I imagine he probably played on some other people's stuff, but Jimmy Page was a session guy. So, oh, so yeah. much of that British invasion stuff, Herman's Hermits, Jimmy Page is playing on a lot of that stuff. Right. Because he was kind of a go to John Paul Jones. He and both of them played on a lot of that stuff. So if you go back and listen to a lot of that uh, bubblegum music from the 60s, a lot of that's probably Paige and John Paul Jones. Just funny. Yeah. I was surprised Mountain was so short lived. They didn't last long, did they? No. And they came from a time, too, where it was not uncommon for for bands to put out two albums in a year. Right. Mm -hmm. And at least you'd have an album every year. In that short period of time, they did they did come out with quite a few. Two years, I think, right? Two years. And how many albums did they come out in that two-year period? Up through 74, they had Climbing, Nantucket, Sleigh Ride, Flowers of Evil, and Avalanche are the four studio albums that I see. And then they've they've kind of gotten together again for kind of one-off stuff over the years. There was an album from 85. Yeah. Then one in 96. 2002 2007 but you're right it was a pretty short-lived time and in that three-year period they came up have have like four albums it looks like interesting now one thing i thought was was fascinating is when you listen to leslie west and realize okay this is 1970 he has a really heavy tone i mean it's pretty heavy distortion i mean it's a heavy tone oh absolutely And I saw an interview and then I read about it also that much of that tone is a result of the amp he was using, which was not a guitar amp. Did you see any of that? Hear any of that? I heard he was using Sun, two ends. He used a Sun Coliseum PA head. Yeah. And some of you guitar players, you know, might be aware of this process. Jeff, I'm sure you are. On a lot of the old Fenders, for instance, you could daisy chain right? You'd run, you'd run out, you'd have two inputs on a Fender Twin or a Deluxe Reverb, and you could run into one, and then you daisy chain it into the other channel. Yeah. 
and that basically gave you like a gain stage because you could crank up the channel, the volume on one channel, and you're hearing that go through the other channel. It's kind of worked like a master volume, and you could get some some dirt that way. So by accident, okay, the wrong thing was shipped to Leslie. Oh. And the, the way he tells it is, is you know, I, I wanted a Sun Amp. So his agent or whoever ordered this Sun Amp, and they ship it to him, and it's a PA head. <laughs> And he plugged into that and he was daisy chaining the, the channels and he got this massive sound that became kind of the Leslie West sound. So that's was kind of funny. It, but it's, it's a very thick, rocking, distorted sound that's kind of ahead of its its time. You know, I mean, there was a lot of heavy, heavy riffing going on, right? Yeah. 68, 69, there, 70. There were, yeah, there was. He was at Sabbath and Purple. Yeah. He was kind of at the forefront of our, Yeah, you're right. I mean, he wasn't the only one because we had Sabbath. We had Richie Blackmore. Jimmy Page was was doing stuff too. But he was definitely the vanguard too, along with those guys at the mm-hmm. forefront. The American version. The American version. That's the right. American heavy, heavy. And then really you get Ronnie Montrose a few years later, but Leslie West and Ronnie Montrose to me, they're the American guys that were really, I mean, if you want to call them proto metal, you know, early metal that were really pioneering a lot of this stuff in terms of a lot of drive feedback, mm-hmm. you know, all of this stuff. It was great. You know, here's one thing that jumped out at me from a general production standpoint of climbing, which I appreciated. If you go back and listen to Hendrix the Beatles, Led Zeppelin, when stereo was still kind of new, they thought stereo was really cool. And so you'd hear a lot of this hard panning, you know, the Beatles, especially Ringo's completely on one side. And then you got the bass and a guitar on the other side. And it, from one standpoint, it's kind of cool to hear that separation, but it drives me crazy to listen to it. I want to hear drums throughout the mix. I don't want the drums all on the right side. I don't want the drums all on the left. I want it everywhere. Right. And so one of the things I appreciate about this album's album is they're not playing with the stereo as much as a lot of the albums of this time, like a Hendrix album, same thing. Mm. Everything's panned so hard, right or left. I don't like it. I guess yeah. if you're sitting in a room listening to it, it's kind of okay. But if you're listening on headphones or in your car, it kind of drives me crazy. So I appreciate the fact that this album, obviously it's in stereo, but they have, you know, you got drums on both sides, you got guitars, you hear a little separation, but not radically so like so many of those 60s albums. I like that. I'm going to have to go back and critique Ringo or critique the, uh, <laughs> yeah. the mix. Yeah, I mean, that, that's surprising to me. I mean, yeah. other things, yeah symbols yeah but drums yeah you'll hear you'll hear us uh, i'm thinking of a good example especially the kick that's got to be down I, I in the think middle if you listen to uh ticket to ride or something you kind of hear it's very much to one side you know even eddie van halen and van halen he'd have all his guitar on one side and all of his reverb on the other oh, yeah. <laughs> kind of weird you know yeah and i'm i like stereo don't get me wrong but a lot of times at least in the 60s hendrix you hear a lot of this. There's so much panning. It's almost a distraction to me anyways. That's just my opinion. But Fair I enough. like the fact that I can listen to this album and I hear everything. It's down the middle. Uh, you know, yeah, you hear some separation of things, but the bass drums right in the middle, the drums are in, the, you know, so I like that. Indeed. All right. So anything else before we start jumping into this track by track? Because I want to kind of talk about some of these tracks in, in detail, if you're okay. No, let's do it. Okay. So. 
album has eight tracks. Is that right? I think it's got eight tracks. Ten? Ten tracks? Well. Shows you how much I know. Maybe the, 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 nine uh, with a live. Yeah, the live there's track. the one live if you look at, listen to the, to the newer versions. Okay, so Jeff is right. There's, there's uh, 10 tracks total on the newer, you know, if you stream it or buy a CD, you get that bonus for Yasker's Farm, a live version. But the original album was nine tracks. It kicks off, this is the one that we all know, kicks off with Mississippi Queen. So Jeff, your thoughts on Mississippi Queen? the band that I was playing more with before COVID, <laughs> uh, we, we would play this, we play this song. So I am a huge fan. Again, it's the riff, it's the tone, it's the sound, it's the voice. It's I mean, hip, and that's, we haven't talked about his voice. voice. Oh my God. Great voice. Less Amazing. Great voice. Um, and this is just a heavy riff. I mean, it's one of the biggest cowbell songs. I mean, we all think of, <laughs> reaper right but really yeah, i think it will feral oh this this one is a massive cowbell song and just just rips and rocks and as you mentioned going back and forth between the major and minor pentatonic throughout this song absolutely and very tasty and you can you can sing back a leslie west solo which you can't say that about a lot of pentatonic blues bass solos but you can do that with his mm-hmm. very melodic very he leaves space you know totally he'll play a riff and there's some space like you said you know with the vibrato and then boom into the next one and yeah it's like that's just a sign of a great player yeah tasty very so i read somewhere the cowbell i guess they were they were recording over and over and over and over and he was getting tired so he just started hitting the cowbell <laughs> as a as a count as a count-in instead yeah. of probably his sticks or saying one two three four yeah. And Felix liked it so much, they left it in. Leave it in. It works. Yeah, it's and, phenomenal. Yeah, it's history. It's phenomenal. There's an old episode. So here's your homework, everyone listening. There's an episode from the Dennis Miller show where Malcolm yeah. plays. Have you seen that live cut? And and I I, I think there's some some alcoholism or something going on. In this. It's kind of crazy. I remember a drumstick being thrown. Yeah, at one point, Corky Lang just whips a drumstick right at leslie and leslie turns around and looks at him you're like well that was kind of wild. uh but but you got to watch it i mean it's it's pretty crazy it's a pretty crazy performance and one of those things where it's it's kind of like watching an andy kaufman bit where you're not sure am i supposed to be laughing at this or is this something going wrong here that's what that gig reminds me of when they play on dennis miller but you should watch it it's pretty cool yeah and they're playing Mississippi Queen, but this is a this is a rocking, ripping tune. It's a classic, great song. And Love. it's obviously your typical one four five for yeah. you guitar players out there, yeah. bass players. Yeah. But it's it's because of the riff mm-hmm. and the way he's playing it. It's way more interesting than your basic just. I don't know. Absolutely it's not as easy to I guess as you would think, especially if you're trying to sing it. Oh, for sure. Do you sing, Jeff? I sing a little. Okay. Yeah. You? But well, a little kind of. I mean, I try not to sing lead, but this would be a hard song to sing. Oh, I couldn't do it. Yeah. But it's a great song and you you understand why it's a classic because it's it's a classic. So <clears throat> Did you did you make any connection with um Mississippi Queen and a song off of Leslie's solo album? Maybe it was Blood of the Sun. 
one of them you kind of got a hint of oh and you're like yeah it oh. probably is blood of the sun because blood of the sun is a riffage major riffage too yeah it's it's good i mean you hear it that's kind of a blueprint yeah it's really good the production on this album is better than on on the leslie west solo album i think i think this album sounds better uh i one of the things i noticed listening to the first leslie west album which is called mountain again which is makes it confusing is the the guitar in comparison to the vocals is really low kind of drove me crazy that and 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 with the way leslie sings where he's yelling screaming you know you got to have the guitars way up there with it too otherwise it's it's his vocals are a little overpowering but but uh anyways just a, a little aside mississippi queen awesome song now cut two this is one that gets a lot of press. Uh, I know that Michael Shanker has covered this song. This is one he's talked about as being a very influential song. It's called Theme, and people often call it Theme from an Imaginary Western. It's actually Theme for an Imaginary Western, written by Jack Bruce mm-hmm. and sung like Jack Bruce by Felix Papillardi. When I hear this song, Jeff, you know what song I think of? A Whiter Shade of Pale. Yeah, okay? I can see that. It's because it's, it's got that bass walk exactly. down. It's, and it's got the organ, and it's yeah. just kind of a similar chord progression. And when I hear this, I'm like, you know, because I think Whiter Shade of Pale, I didn't look this up, so I may be wrong, but I think Whiter Shade of Pale came out like two years before this. You can check me on this, Jeff. I'm thinking it was like 67, 68 when Whiter Shade of Pale came out. And there's a guy in, in Pro Cole Harem named Robin Trower, who's no slouch on the guitar either. Mm-hmm. And they could have made a wider shade of pale of a ripping song like this one, but they didn't. You know, there's no guitar solo in that song, which is a shame. But that's what I think of that song when I hear this, because you got the organ, kind of the same vibe, same type of delivery. But then, oh, by the way, we're just going to have a ripping guitar solo all the way through this thing. I love this song. I I just think it's a phenomenal song. It's kind of a mid to slow tempo. And then it just rips. It's just a great guitar solo all the way through. It's tasty. It's just, this might be my favorite song on the album. Oh, wow. Okay. Wider Shade of Pale released in 1967. 67. Okay. May. May of 67. Yeah, and, and went to number one on the UK singles chart. And and a great tune, by the way, a great cover by HSAS in the 80s. They do a version that's Sammy Hagar and Neil Sean. You know, they they did a version of Wider Shade of Pale, which is kind of a ripping version. But I often wonder, had they let Robin Trower cut loose a little more on a wider shade of pale? You know, it might be considered a guitar masterpiece because Robin yeah. Trower can be- definitely do it, you know. So typical slow chord progression, you know, it's telling a story, as you can imagine, talking about people traveling across the plains and all of this stuff, and then just a ripping guitar uh, solo. It's great. Any thoughts for you on this tune that jumped out? No, just uh, like I said, I was I was pleasantly surprised with the uh, these different, to me, just like very contrast to the hard, heavy riff and blues. So yeah, yeah. I enjoy, and, enjoy and, it. And, and a very, very much a vocal contrast when you get to Felix singing versus 
versus uh, Leslie singing. Yeah, it's great. And then number three, maybe the heaviest song on the album to me, Never In My Life. Again, loud, bombastic. Here's one thing that kind of jumps out at me, and I think this is a product of the time, right? This is, this is 1970, so they produce things differently now. There are places throughout this album where I'm like, man, I wish they'd turn up his guitar a little bit. You know, because you'll hear, you'll hear him. It wasn't on this song so much as as some of the other songs we'll get to later. But, but you hear him. There's the rhythm part he's playing, and you'll hear some licks going on in the background. But they're they're a little quieter. I wish they'd bring those up in the mix a little more so I could hear those a little better. What he's doing. We uh, might have to play this one. This might this might be our number two. There, mountain. there you go. It's a, it's a great one. So, what did you think about the fourth? track silver paper i like the 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 lyric open up your heart and let the sun shine in yeah this is a hippie song right kind of like you know positive yeah it's very positive and and this is the one um you know open your heart open your you know let the sun shine in you know very late 60s early 70s message you know Uh, so a little dated from that standpoint but this is one where they're trading back and forth on the vocals right and it works and it's it's an upbeat positive song but again he manages to sneak in some very heavy uh guitar histrionics i love it i love this song in fact the first side one is definitely my favorite side of the album yeah i agree with that good song but yeah very, this one i think more than any if you're going to say sounds like a 1970 song this is it because it's kind of a flower children, you know, open your heart, let the sun shine in and all of that great message. And it's interesting that you got this great positive upbeat song, but great guitar riffs throughout. It's good stuff. And then Yasgur's for Yasgur's Farm, Farm. which obviously was written for Mr. Yasgur. For Mr. Yasgur. Tell us about Mr. Yasgur. Give us the context there. Well, you know, I think it's uh, well known. He owned this piece of property, this farm. And, and a little thing happened there. And uh, I, I, I remember hearing that they expected, I don't know, thirty to 50,000 people over the three days. Mm-hmm. And that didn't happen. <laughs> what was I, the final count at Woodstock, by the way? Do we know? Wasn't it like around 500,000? Yeah, half a million. Ridiculous. Yes. Which, you know... Um, in contrast, the more uh, not positive Altamont, Altamont right. Speedway, that was, I think, also up in the half a millions. Yeah. yeah. But and, we all know what happened there. But. Yeah. And, and think about this. We all take it for granted now that massive, you know, big festival type, you, you know, we've had the Us Festival, we've had Live Aid. There have been several, several concerts where you have hundreds of thousands of people since then. But this was the beginning of that. They had to invent sound systems that could do this you know back in the late 60s early 70s so this was all kind of kind of new you know yeah let alone the infrastructure that exactly. they weren't prepared for right water and and toilets toilets that's why woodstock was such a such a but i i it's amazing that that many people could get together and they did made a conscious decision to go we're all gonna to, go to, to get along and just make the best and yeah. it's just I can't imagine that happening now, but yeah, never say never. 
so it, it's great. So the the song is is for Yasker's Farm. So it's about Woodstock. You know what I think of when I hear this song? I think of something by the Beatles. Mm. Just kind of the just kind of the vibe, you know. Again, and 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 you're you're seeing the formula here. All the songs have great guitar playing in them. Right? They all they all Leslie opens up and plays great on this song. And and this is a great song. On the CD and on the later releases, there's a live version of this at the end. So you get you get this song twice. Heavy organ in this one, huh? Heavy organ. A lot of organ in this one. Did I misread this? I thought that I saw that they actually performed this at Woodstock, which means they wrote it to perform it at Woodstock. Unless I saw that wrong. I thought I saw that somewhere. Someone correct me if I'm wrong on that. Let me know. I Which, think I might have read that that was true, but the name was something else like who I am, but I you, and the, you right. and the sun that, or something. That's what it was. They wrote this song and then they renamed it after that's what it was after. Yeah. Woodstock. Okay. That makes sense. Okay. And then the next song, and I don't, and I don't, um, it's not a bad song, but to me, track two on side two is called to my friend, which is just a guitar instrumental nothing wrong with it to me it's kind of filler it's here's what jumped out at me this sounds like beatles kind of you know what the sitar you you know well the sitar's in the following one in the layered isn't it is this Uh, i thought into my friend which is a 12 string guitar i could be wrong i think there's a sitar in there could be but you know you know what i heard on track two to my friend I said, this sounds like something off Led Zeppelin three. I had that in my notes too. Yeah. It's yeah. this could be from Led Zeppelin three. However, this was released, released in March of 1970. Led Zeppelin three was released in October of 1970. So this came first, but this totally sounds like it belongs on Led Zeppelin three. I have that in my notes. Yeah. You know what else I have? You What's might that? kind of reminds me of a Steven Stills kind of style especially the the upbeat part totally i could totally see that yeah totally see that yeah i i I liked it it's a nice little break i i I think what's kind of quirky to me is how it it jumps back and forth from the slow mellow part with the harmonics then it's just he's strumming really fast and then it switches back so it's a little disjointed to me but obviously the guy can play I mean, it's impressive that his acoustic chops are 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 there also. So it's totally pretty cool. And then that leads us into the next cut, which is called the layered. I meant to look this up. I don't know what a layered is. What is a layered? Do we know what that is? <laughs> I don't know. But it's a again starts mellow, got some sitar in it. So again appropriate for the time a lot of sitar going on in the late 60s early 70s and it's it's mellow and transitions you know there's some there's again some some great guitar playing in this too but just a mellow yeah exotic kind of like little spacey word spacey kind of totally a a layered a layered person who owns a large estate there you go okay that sound right okay makes (laughs) sense it's you know some european beefdom type vibe going on okay i read a comment about this song who knows if this is true but it's so specific it might be someone uh commented that 
this song was played on a 1927 Larson Brothers Stahl big boy guitar that Jimi Hendrix owned. Jimmy gave the guitar to Eric Clapton in 69. Clapton left the guitar at Felix's home and Felix used it on the Laird. That's cool. So he, he does play guitar on this as well. Yeah, that's yeah. Felix, Felix plays a guitar in a couple tracks. I noticed. Yeah. Felix, I think is a pretty all, all, all around musician from what I, from what I'm seeing. So. Yeah. But it's a cool song. And again, has that kind of trippy kind of hippie feel a psychedelic feel. Uh, but it's a great song. And then did you have anything else from this track before I move on, Jeff? I was just listening to it again and, and paying attention to the stereo effect. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of wide uh, things happen in the I'm mix. Different. Yeah. I like it though. Yeah. It's cool. Then track four, we're back to the rockers, right? This one's called sitting on a rainbow. And if I remember right, it's got a pretty good riff on it too. Uh, Leslie West knew how to write riffs. I haven't sat down to learn them all, but to me, not, not sitting down to learn them all. They sound like they're all in a or E. Am I right? Exactly. <laughs> so, there's so many songs in any, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> of that, course, you know, and that's, there's a reason, right? Guitar yeah, players yeah. love those keys because for a couple reasons, but, but I, I'm, I'm guessing this is probably a song in a or E, but it's got a good, a good riff on it. And uh, again, just a, a good rocking tune. I think there's a cowbell part of the opening I, drum. I think thing. you're right. Yeah, I think there's a cowbell in this song. Sitting on a rainbow, subject matter-wise, it's very 60s, 70s uh, theme. Felix's bass on this is really, really Jack Bruce-ish. Yeah, absolutely. That's the one. Yeah, that's the one. A lot of, one? A lot of and pauses and, and all kinds of, a lot of movement. Totally. Totally. Yeah, there's there's no like doom 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 doom. Oh no! Doom, 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 oh no! He's he's he's, he's everywhere. Very melodic, a lot of movement, a lot of pauses, a lot of yeah. Very good, very good bass player, uh, and I'm pretty sure he played with the pick. And all the pictures I've seen, he's playing like a the violin bass, the Beatle bass, you know, like McCartney played. Oh, uh, the Hoffner. Hoffner, yeah, and and I'm sure he played other types of basses too, but I've seen lots of pictures where he's playing one of those. Now, the final song, studio song on the on the original album, is called "Boys in the Band." Now, follow me on this. I don't want anyone to misunderstand me here, but this starts with a nice, beautiful piano part, and then a guitar part. Now. If if I tell you this reminds me of a UFO song, I don't want you to to laugh at me, but but hear me out on this. This whole and there might have been other examples, but I'm trying to think from this era, and I haven't been able to find one. But this whole mellow, dramatic piano part with a guitar solo on top of it that model that blueprint is something that ufo later used to great effect i mean i could give you a handful of ufo songs that has these great dramatic almost you know orchestral type keyboard parts with an epic guitar solo against it and this album way back in 1970 kind of has that feel to me and if you listen to a ufo track later like love to love perfect example of this blending of a mellow beautiful piano part with a ripping melodic uh guitar part it's Mm. great formula and and here it is right here and i i can't say for certain but when i hear that i think oh well 
there's some inspiration for Michael Schenker right there. It feels uh, like an end to an album. Like it's, it's, it's telling the end of the story. It does. And this song really reminds me when you get into the, the chorus where it's kind of like a key change that to me sounds very creamish. That sounds very much like a cream thing going on there. Cream was very influential to, to Leslie West, obviously, and, and to Felix. So yeah, it's only natural that we hear that, that cream influence there. And, uh, and it was great. I mean, I, I, I love it. This is, this is a solid song. And I, and I think you're right. It sounds like the last song on an album. I had for notes somewhere that this is, this was an example of sort of that Clapton, Clapton-esque woman tone. You know, you roll the tone back on that bridge pickup. Mm-hmm. It's wonderful. It's beautiful sound. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And very, very melodic, very musical, very tasteful playing and and that's the thing about leslie west is he's not the fastest he's not the flashiest but everything he plays is tasty you know it sounds good he's got that i love his vibrato it's just very a very wide melodic vibrato he probably has very strong hands can just tug those strings all over the place and he plays those little les paul juniors and stuff and and just and he also played a flying V and a flying V. I saw a video. I, I've been trying to find it, but in the mid seventies, the Leslie West band, and I saw a clip from like midnight special or Kirshner's rock concert or one of those shows. And the Leslie West band featured a guitar player named Mick Jones, who later would form foreigner, but he oh. was in the Leslie West band. So there's a video of him and, and uh, Leslie West, in the same band. And it's just kind of cool to see that. Uh, it's very cool. Two, two great guitar players. Yeah. In one band. Pretty awesome. So your final thoughts on climbing by mountain, Jeff, what do you think? Would you recommend it to others? One of the top for a guitar player, for sure. Yeah. And for songwriters, one of the top 10 to maybe top 20. It's great. For album. sure. To come out during that time frame. Yeah. And a good study. If you're a guitar player, I think, Personally, I have a I have a hard time um, with like rushing playing, you know, mm-hmm. getting kind of excited. Right. And I think if you sort of study Leslie and try to copy some of the things he's doing, it's a good learning. It's a good learning thing to do. Kind of a less less is more. Mm-hmm. Leslie Leslie is more. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I'm like you. You know, we have heard about Leslie West for years. All of us that have been in guitar into classic rock, you always hear about Leslie West. And, and I'll be honest, you know, I always like Mississippi Queen and I've always said, yeah, yeah, great. Leslie West, whatever. But yeah. I never took the time to really dig into it. And sadly, a lot of times we don't until someone's no longer with us. Right. So going back and actually listening to this as a homework assignment, it was great. It was great. You know, I'm sure there'll be albums that you and I recommend that we go through and, and I'm sure there'll be albums that, either one of us will feel like it's a chore to listen to you. Like, Oh man, he wants me to, Jeff wants me to listen to this album. So I will, but man, I'm not really digging it. Right. This was not one of those. I really enjoyed this album. And this is one that I will continue to listen to. There's not a bad track on it. Uh, Occasionally you'll get one of those albums where I just can't, this album's okay, but I cannot sit through this song. There's no songs like that on this album. I mean, yeah, no, it's fantastic. It's a good album. And, and sometimes 
some of the 60s stuff just doesn't grab me. Like, you know, I, I go back and try and listen to the Yardbirds. And I understand the importance of the Yardbirds or even the Beano album. And I understand their importance. But it's hold on now. Hold I know, on now. I know, I know. Hold I'm on a second. Here. <laughs> but it's, and, and a lot of it might be more a product of the production than anything else. But it's harder for me to get through some of those. This one, even though it's from 1970, sounds, for lack of a better word, new enough, modern mm. enough to me yeah. that I don't, I don't struggle getting through it. Part of it is that they don't have the crazy wide stereo separation that they have on some of those that drive me crazy. But it's a great album. It's a solid album. If you're a guitar player, yeah, I think it's required listening. You got to go check out Leslie West and, and you appreciate what he brought and you see how he influenced other, other people. So it's a great album. Big album for a big man. For sure. <laughs> That's right. Well, thanks so much, Jeff. This is a lot of fun. And next week, let's go ahead and let's go ahead and let them know what our album is for next week. Jeff. Indeed. Indeed. Next week, we've got uh, a great, great album from UFO called phenomenon phenomenon. That's a great album. The first <laughs> one with Michael Shanker, I'm yes. looking forward to it. So uh, another we'll, album that surprised me. Yeah, it's it's good, isn't it? Oh my goodness! And and a lot different than some of their later stuff. But anyways, we'll save that for for next week. So Jeff, thanks so much. Thank you all for listening. Again, you can uh, support us on Patreon. You can email us classicguitarrock at mail.com. Check out the YouTube channel. And we look forward to seeing you next week on the Classic Guitar Rock Podcast. See you, Jeff. See you, Jeremy. Thanks. Adios. Thanks for listening to the Classic Guitar Rock Podcast. Please like, subscribe, and share. You can email us at classicguitarrock at mail.com. We'll see you for the next episode of the Classic Guitar Rock Podcast. <laughs>